Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello again. Welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. I'm Ryan Gibson. Today we've got part two of our conversation with creator, developer, and television executive Eli Holtzman. Please go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. And remember to go back and listen to all of our vaulted episodes at howigotgreenlit.com. Today, Eli brought his B-side choice, The Player, a 1992 American satirical black comedy directed by Robert Altman and written by Michael Tolkien. It's a cavalcade of stars with the lead being tim robbins without further ado eli holtzman and the player that's a moment in a young person's life you believed in the in the idea of miramax and you thought that it was if you worked hard and you reminded them of what you had done that there would be a commensurate response and there wasn't and that's that's a growing moment for a young person when you're like oh you know i should be careful who i have faith in or what i have faith in because you know i'm giving the, they're not seeing the 20 hours a day i'm seeing it and now when i finally stand up on my hind legs and ask for a little bit of return on that they're like no 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 you you will always do this forever and you will you will be uh happy to take whatever pittance we give you and you only you get you you like you don't ask you don't get and you got to be willing That's to right. take some risk uh and 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 bet on yourself uh, i also think like people aren't all bad or all good so I work for some bad people with some extraordinary talent and you can learn right. the good things from those, you know, from yeah. those take, take the good, leave the bad. Nature. So like, yeah, that's you, right. You might be sort of like a devotee of a saint, but they might have a terrible diet or awful hygiene. So like you can't just, you don't just, you know, set it and forget it and take everything that someone does as like gospel. Well, it's the, it's the notion of heroism in, in a child, in a child and a young man, a young person and, and starting to see like, Oh, my idols have clay feet, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the, the more you saw of the brothers and, and the culture there. Would you say that that job and sort of seeing, you know, Project Greenlight up in lights and seeing Project Runway, you know, literally fucking take over the world. I mean, would you call that your greenlit moment? I mean, we're trying to be on brand here. It Was that that moment when you felt different later? When Like for me, it was like, that big HBO uh, poster that they always have on Sunset when they when that yeah. was the Project Greenlight poster, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that feels real to me. Like, do you was there a threshold moment where you're like, 
wow, I'm, is it meeting De Niro? I mean, what, what does green light mean to you guys? I've arrived. I'm here. I'm it, it's yeah. Yeah. You're different today. Like it, it's a funny thing. You know, we sort of did it as a glib, like, you know, familiar term, but for me, what it means is you, you feel different like you're working with a hero that you only saw in movies or they're treating you like an equal or you step on the set of a thing that you created and you're like, holy shit, this is not a dream. This is a reality. Now, the joke is, is that, you know, someone who's never done it or someone who hasn't had any success in this business yet, there's an imagination that once you step through that door, everything's changed. But what everyone, including you, and I know you'll say it too, is there is no greenlit moment. Like that's the sort of fallacy of it. Like you do feel different and then you realize, Oh, back to work, motherfucker. Like there's no, you're not in the club out of the club. Like there's no entrance into the VIP room. And then everyone hands you a fucking margarita. Like, no, you're in the room. Now you're fighting to stay in the room and Oh, there's an even smaller room in the back that you got to fight to get into. Once you get in there, you still got to fight to stay in there. You know what I mean? It's the, there is no like perpetual moment of success. It's a constantly, uh, uh, retreating, you know, not to quote Fitzgerald, but the green light was ever receding, you know, in, uh, the, there is a green light in, uh, in, um, the great Gatsby, you know, that's the, that's the line. So I think every every guest has had a different take on what the greenlit moment is. I think for me, you know, like Alex is saying is that no matter what success you have today, it doesn't mean anything tomorrow. And what you have you done for me lately? <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, but I think for me, I, I think for me, it's one of those moments where you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm standing here. Like I can't like after all the things that I thought that I was going to be growing up and all the work that I did, whether I worked in a factory or I worked in a, you know, in a wood shop or I, knew exactly what I was going to do and went to USC film school or whatever. So I, I had incremental ones that I would braid together into one for me, for us on project Greenlight one at the finale, um, Harvey was there, Matt and Ben were there. Um, uh, oh gosh, what's your name? Who had just taken over Bravo. Um, it'll come to me, but a new, uh, a, a, a woman who had just, um, took over Bravo and we had project Greenlight and project runway there. Um, and she, ah, but that's the first reboot. Let's, let's, let's chart it out. We were on HBO for two years and then they decided that reality shows were, were not cool enough for HBO. We were, we were, we started out as a documentary show that had some, that had some shine. And then, and then uh, season two, they killed us and they said, we're not part of this scummy thing that's coming around this reality TV bullshit. And then you guys saved the day with the first resurrection from death, right. which was Bravo. So that one right. actually he did, bought he it. He did qualify saying he was going to braid things together. So <laughs> he's braiding. So the shorter version, I guess is I had a quiet moment. The winner had just been crowned and everyone was like slapping each other on the back and clinking glasses and, I found myself quietly standing in the corner kind of marveling at, Hey, me and Alex typed something up in my office. And we didn't know that when we started rolling that pebble down a hill, that it, this guy over here, his life just changed. He just won. He's going to go make a movie. He's meeting movie stars and movie moguls and millions yeah, of dollars now changing hands back to that thing that we did. And that felt pretty special and cool. That was a moment for me. Um, 
the wry smile. Yeah. Not, yeah. And more, it was more private, actually. It was just like, it, it was like, wow, that that's cool. I, um, I think that makes it even more of a moment. Actually. That's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. When, um, when we were making, uh, I'd done this startup studio Lambert with my partner, Steven, who created an undercover boss. Um, but you know, and we, we allegedly, allegedly we, sold, <laughs> you know, we sold it together in America. I made the pilot, but we're, and uh, his wife, I remember when we sold it, said, are you excited? And I was like, I ah, you know most pilots don't go. And then we, we, it got picked up and she said, are you excited? I was like, yeah, you know, most season ones die. And, uh, <laughs> and then they told us it was going to premiere behind the Super Bowl, And she said, are you excited? And I said, yeah, Jenny, I'm fucking excited. I'm never getting that one spot again in my life. This is huge. And um, we had made an episode with a guy who was big in the sports world. And he got me four tickets. I gave two to Steven and his son to um, to the Super Bowl. I'd never been to a football game in my life. And I went to the Super Bowl and I sat on the first row on the 50-yard line. I brought my dad. We then flew from there. As the show premiered, highest rated reality premiere of all time to date, 38 some odd million people watched it that night at the same time. That doesn't happen anymore. Who was the first boss? Um, Larry, uh, Larry O'Dell, who ran, who was the COO and president of Waste Management. And it was our, oh, and that was yeah. our pilot episode. great episode. Larry O'Donnell. Uh, Larry O'Donnell. And um, we then got on, and this wasn't him who took me to the Super Bowl. And then we then got on with my dad, a private jet. And we flew to New York City where my little brother was having the friends and family opening of his restaurant, the meatball shop, and uh, which was going to blow up and be a hit. And I looked over and saw my dad at the bar looking at his sons, his son, his, you know, my younger brother who's got who's through this busy, thriving restaurant. And he'd just been on a private jet in the Super Bowl. And I remember the look on his face of like making my dad proud. And that, um, that felt like a real, a real moment That's, to me. And then, uh, and the, the, the last one I'll mention is, um, you know, we grew up in a pretty humble basement apartment that I was ashamed of. So I was on scholarship at private school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And all my friends had fancy houses and country houses for the weekends. And we didn't have any of that. And they would go away right. and spring break and come back with like puka shell necklaces and suntans. And like, we had left. <laughs> and, uh, um, but through this, profession I've been in and my, my, a lot of good fortune and hard work. I, I bought myself a house. I also bought, by the way, my mom and my dad a house, which felt pretty great. Um, separate ones, nice. a long divorce, but uh, I bought myself a house and uh, that's the house I just moved out of. But, you know, for 10 years, I would come downstairs and look around my house and go like, and that was the first time I could like tangibly see a difference in my lifestyle tied to the professional success the fruits of your labor yeah that that this is my house that i built because you because you not only it's a great house but you also like you're like no no no. it's got to be the right tile in this bathroom yeah. like you 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 made it into your vision of like this is my yeah, house and, it and it's really also felt. in the neighborhood that you used to live in a fucking shit ass apartment where you had a sawed off shotgun under your bed yeah, like, that's right that's right and my, my and my buddy patrick someone said to him Man, why did he like waste money on that stupid Sub-Zero refrigerator? Like that's the same no, box. Because that's the right one, buddy. <laughs> same shit, just as cold as the one from. Uh, right, from just Home as Depot. cold. <laughs> from Frigidaire, come but on. But he knows me and he knows where I come from. And he said, oh, that's because um, those kids that he went to elementary school with, 
And the, when I worked for my dad as a, in his cabinet making business, we would deliver the cabinets to the same buildings where my friends from school lived. But we weren't allowed to go in the front door. You'd have to use the service entrance. And Patrick knew. He said, oh, it's because those, those, those houses that he was, those apartments he was delivering cabinets to, they all had that refrigerator. That's right. That's right. And, and so, so actually you, you, you're, you're bringing up another great topic because we're trying to, you know, you were asking, well, what does that mean? How I got greenlit and, and, you know, we're starting to go outside entertainment. You know, we're talking to like the guy who created Joe Camel and we're talking to like innovators in all kinds of spaces because to green light yourself is, is more of a metaphorical thing. Right. And it's what you're talking about. It's that sort of, you already had, a spark, right, of ambition, but sometimes, and it can burn clean. It sounds like you, you, you know, you've come to a more enlightened place by taking a little bit of this, but leaving a little bit of that. And and when when I'm going to be a good soldier, but when I'm a general, I'm going to do things a little bit differently, you know, and evolving as a human being. But it's that notion of sometimes ambition can burn on dirty fuel which is I'm going to show those motherfuckers and a lot. And you and I are, are, are students of a lot of Hollywood biographies, a lot of autobiographies. I was telling Ryan about your great, when you first got like your office. Yeah, exactly. But that's like a traditional bookshelf. I'm talking about when you did the custom one with the, with the shelves so you can see all the, the uh, covers. I was telling him like, I love that idea because it was all showbiz biographies. I'm like, this guy's coming to fucking play. Right. So um, there is a notion of uh, you can burn a rocket that burns dirty, that it's on revenge, that it's on. uh, I'm going to show them that it's that like, I'm going to stick it to everybody who crossed me. Like that's a very human emotion. Um, and it gets you so far. It doesn't get you all the way. I think people burn out. I think, I think the Bob and Harvey's are driven by that and then it gets away from them and then it burns them down. It burns them inside. And we've seen that. We see these people who are incredibly successful in terms of dollars and cents or name above the title and they're fucking miserable human beings, right? So you have to be careful that that fire doesn't burn too much, right? You know, you were kind of sticking it to him. You're not the guy to meet one of those old, you know, high school friends and be like, oh, how you doing, motherfucker? You like my car? I mean, you're not that guy. But a little bit, a little bit, that sub-zero moment. I thought of it yesterday. It's so random that this is coming up. What I think of, there were a couple of really hot girls at Binghamton that I got no play from. It's a lot about the girls. I don't remember their names. If they remember my name and see it on like American Idol. And like, but I I literally had that thought yesterday because one of them was so hot. She was like, (laughs) well, that's like that great moment in Citizen Kane. And I saw the girl for a moment on the ferry. I think about her every day, you know, like that, like the little thing. But um, I had my greatest adventure of that was I got a LinkedIn message from my college girlfriend. And she said, your name came up and I saw all the things you did. You were talking about wanting to take over Hollywood and make a big show and you did it. And I just got to tell you, like, I'm so proud of you. You fucking did it. And it's, it was amazing. It was almost like a time capsule. Like, holy shit. I talked a lot of shit when I was 19, you know, and Turns out you weren't talking shit. You were calling your pocket. The, yeah. And yeah. it hasn't stopped. <laughs> I do want to just really quickly for, for Eli, I hope you don't mind this, but, um, 
uh, your brother, uh, your brother, Daniel, yeah. Uh, yeah. your brother, Daniel, uh, we just like to do a quick shout out to the meatball shop, uh, located in hell's kitchen on ninth Avenue. Still going. Oh, uh, and Danny the, boy's famous original is the best New York slice of pizza in Los Angeles on hope street by the Broad museum and the Disney concert hall. If we're going to shout out anything. Danny Boy's famous original pizza. He relocated to LA. We saw on good piece of the meatball shop, but his pizza place is spectacular. Don't miss okay, it. Okay, nice. do, 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 do this. Hero there. Do this. Amazing. Do this amazing. Real, well, do this for real. It's Danny Boy. Danny Boy Pizza. Danny that- Boy's famous original. It's a wink at you know Ray's original where we grew up. Yes. Right. It's, the classic it's reference. In the Wells Fargo yeah. Towers at the it's, uh, at the top of Bunker Hill in downtown LA. And it's a so Daniel's out here now. Yeah, he's out here. Daniel. Oh, wow. Danny boys. Yeah. Daniel's an amazing chef. By the way, by the way, Ryan, Ryan, fun fact. Uh, So Eli, Ryan and I are are packaging a movie right now. And obviously, you know, we're frozen for the strike and all that. But we've been going out to actors and it's about two brothers. And one of the brothers name is Eli. And uh, I I based it on you guys because. He did that. When I met Daniel, I mean, Eli, when I met Eli, I very quickly met Daniel because they're thick as thieves, these two brothers. And uh, I always wanted a brother. And I, you're, the way you guys were like, loved each other, but gave each other shit. And I was always like, ah, I wish I had that. So when I wrote that script, I, I definitely sort of based that uh, relationship yeah. on these two brothers. By the way, a, sli- a slice a slice of cheese for four four fifty and a slice of pepperoni for five. And yeah, so it's that, very reasonable. Taste it. <laughs> I love it. That's like a New York slice. It's a, it's yeah. a slice joint. He spent COVID. Yeah. He, he was like uh decided he's like, you know it'd be fun. I'll make the best New York slice of pizza in LA. And he scientifically, you know, spent, you know, a hundred different versions of the recipe went and worked to great pizza places until he really dialed it in. Thank you for saying that, Alex. You got to come hang out on uh, on Friday nights. We do guys night. It's boys date night. And often it's in my place. My brother's always there. I would eat, eat good food. Get drunk and I'd love to see. I haven't seen Daniel in fucking decades, man. I'd love to see him. I, I love that you guys try to find uh, collabs and various things. You did the, uh, the QBs, yeah. which is still my favorite, the lost classic QBs, which was, Ryan, you're going to love this. It's a Rice Krispie stuffed with ice cream. Rice Krispie Whoa. treats filled with ice cream. We invented and the funny thing is, is I was, I was loving on them in Whole Foods. And I think I said, Eli, you got to try this shit. He's like, dude, that's mine. Like I invented that. I'm like, what? It's yeah, nice. So it turns out you can do yeah, that too. Agree with I agree. So just, good. I just know my uh, mouth is watering from going to Danny <laughs> Boys and getting a slice. Like, yeah, it's yeah. real good. It's real good. I, I I also wanted to observe. I think that you learned how to care and feed uh, huge A list talent in Miramax, right? So you had to go and work for Ashton Kutcher. You know, you learned how to talk to movie stars, how not to be starstruck, how you know to handle yourself and be cool and treat people right, and. It seems like, you know, you went from Catalyst, then you, like you said, you, you were at Studio Lambert. Is it Lambert, Lambert. or Lambert? Yeah, Lambert. Lambert. Fresh. And, uh, and you did that for many years and then all media. I mean, you, you keep, uh, you, you go to these places and as your knowledge base grows, it seems like you're, you're able to start connecting these, 
you start using your finance and your business uh, background more and more as you go from just making a show or developing a concept into building a business, right? Yeah. Like I would say like the last 10 years of your career, yeah, you're certainly making shows as you always have, but it's almost like you're making business models, right? You're, you're creating these production companies that then sell to these larger entities. Yeah. You know, was that was that a conscious decision or are you just sticking to your knitting and making shows and these companies are growing uh, commensurately and then you're selling them or are you starting these companies because you see what the larger landscape of the reality business? Because by the way, Ryan, you should understand this. Like Project Greenlight was a three-line pitch and those don't exist anymore. The best you know, we kind of started out in a Wild West. Uh, it was a new thing. We, we had to find people to pitch to. Well, what do you do? Oh, nonfiction programming. Nonfiction programming. What the fuck is that? Well, I work at Bravo and I booked the operas. I mean, it was way the fuck back, yeah. you know? And now it's an installed power base of the business. Mm -hmm. And in this case, during a writer's strike, it's the only fucking game in town. So now you got Spielberg like, hey, I got, I got 30 people on the fucking payroll. I got to sell something. You guys want to do a reality show with me? You know, I mean, it's... It, it's become the, you know, the third leg of the stool, it's, right? It's, so. it's a big business. And that's a big part of why my career has gone in the direction that it did. You know, I set out to make movies. Then I got sent to TV. So it was going to be scripted television. And then reality TV. And you keep getting, they keep pulling you back. Reality TV happened you know, kind of by accident. You know, you had that idea my first week. Or, and it led to this thing. And as a result, that's the door that kept opening. When I look back at my career now, what I realize is, I think, you know, our initiative, our talent, all those things, those are a surfboard, but you got to catch a wave. And the wave was the reality it's television boom. Correct. I picked up yeah. and carried on this, this surging business. I'm a student and I pay attention and I learn. So I got to start a division for Miramax. I was starting a company in a way. And then I right. worked for Ashton. It was in these pretty early days and I was building his business. Then I did Greenlight and then Runway and Beauty and the Geek. Three years in a row, sold a show, went on to TV. And three years in a row, the other people in the pitch with me were going to get paid forever and I wasn't. And I went, I'm going to do that a fourth <laughs> time. And this time it's my fault if those circumstances, if I don't change things to, you know, to, 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 to benefit from the success I'm, I'm helping to create. So I went out on my own. But I made a bunch of wrong assumptions. And after about two or three years, I had to throw in the towel. And the, 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 the take throwing in the towel took for me was I partnered with Stephen Lambert. Stephen was 50 years old at the time, thereabout. He had been, um, he had to step down in disgrace because of the Queensgate scandal from RDF, a company that he had helped really put on the map. And he had a chip on his shoulder and he wanted to go prove what he could go do. See, I'm going to show those fuckers. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I'm going to go ride shotgun with this guy in a nonfiction startup and learn how to do it. So next time I do it, I'll do it right. And so I was there deliberately to, to get that education and to learn. And it was when I was out on my own in my company, it didn't work. 51 Minds sold. And 51 Minds, they made the surreal life. And then when the WB canceled it, they got it back. So they owned it. And then VH1 picked it up as a license. And then it wound up being the whole VH1 schedule or spinoffs of that show. And as a result, <laughs> they owned all this tape. They're making a lot of money. And they sold the company. I think it was for $50 million. And I had never heard of a nonfiction company selling. Selling like, for that oh, much money. Shit. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, you can do that? And that became a goal. And when I met Stephen, he had a deal. I won't bore you with 
in place to sell the company. And so I got to go like apprentice and learn. So I'm out here very deliberately studying, learning, getting smarter, getting you know more dangerous, accumulating, I hope, talents and skills. I think we all have a certain amount of native talent that'll take us to a certain place. And then you plateau. And it's because you don't have the next skill to go to the next level. And you and I had to learn, oh, relationships from Richard White. So you got to get the town rooting for you. Okay, let me go do that. It might take a couple of years. Um, right now, I'm learning how to operate inside a big studio. I haven't had to do that before. And I am, I am actively... Well, let's, let's clarify. Yeah. So so you, you now run Sony's uh, television. Well, you tell us, but you run their reality. Sony Pictures Television uh, Nonfiction. Uh, the, the nonfiction yeah. division at, at, at Sony, they, they sort of acqui-hired uh, my group, we, which, which was called Industrial Media. We were a roll-up about... Uh, eight or nine production companies. Um, and, uh, they, Sony bought it and we became their, their nonfiction business. Um, and, uh, it, which sits alongside an amazing game show division to give them a lot of credit. They make wheel of fortune and jeopardy and who wants to be in there and wildly successful. Okay. So, so you, 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 uh, so acquire. So, so you had a series of companies, then you started buying little companies under your thing, right? Yeah. 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 Once, once I was at all three with studio Lambert was backed by all three. Once they bought us out, all three is a big, was a private equity backed roll up of production companies. And I started to learn about, this is an amazing moment. Um, buying companies so suddenly companies that were for sale were presented to us and i was asked to look at them and evaluate them. you were so you, all my you had, <laughs> friends in the industry were suddenly showing me their inside of their business and i could learn how they did it that was an incredible education allow us to take a break from eli and the player we'd like to go back into the vault and play a clip from actor kelly lynn Ryder who joined the show a while ago. She's talking about how in show business you're constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. This is very pertinent, especially right now. In this flippin' entertainment industry, we don't know if anything's happening before we're on set, sometimes even when we're on set. We only know it happened when we see the movie on the screen. That's when we're only 100% sure that this stuff actually happens. So... Right. <laughs> I was still nervous that something would fall through, that, you know, it wouldn't happen. I was so, so insanely excited, nervous, anxious, whatever you want to call it. Sweaty. I'm always sweaty. <laughs> um, yeah, there, Kelly, you're saying, because you just don't know, did, am I going to make it into the final cut of the movie, right? Yeah. I mean, or, you know, even like The Guild, we filmed it and it... I mean, nobody's ever seen it to this day. I mean, things <laughs> fall apart all the time. On the indie side, right. We Many films just never get finished. Never get finished. Yeah, or they day, don't have money for post-production or whatever. It's always something. Yeah there's, yeah, there's so many stories out there, and this is what I tell people. If you start a movie and you really feel the momentum going, you have to finish it. Like, do not let it sit on a hard drive somewhere. Yeah. Don't not finish your movie because it is an it is a total talk about a waste of time and money. If you don't, fit, even if you have to learn to edit edit it yourself, yeah, by any means necessary. Please make sure to go back and listen to this and all the vaulted episodes of How I Got Greenlit. Now back to the show. 
So without further ado, let's get into the film uh, for our remaining moments with you. And thank you for being so generous with your time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ryan, you want to take us into it? Well, Eli today has brought us The Player, starring Tim Robbins and basically a cast of thousands, (laughs) thousands, uh, 1992 film by uh, Robert Altman, who I think some would say, you know, this is a B-side. I would say this is a B-side. I think Eli has has he checked the boxes today. You know, the funny thing about the player is it, it plays right into our love, which is movies about movies, right? I mean, you know, you, with all your books and biographies. This is our second, obsessed. second movie about a movie. Yeah. With, uh, uh, what was the, we, we the did, French? We um, did Godard. Godard. Day yeah. for Night or no, uh, or no that's Truffaut. Um, uh, no, we did uh, uh, Contempt, Contempt, right? yeah, um, Contempt. Yeah. Another movie about a movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously it's our, it's our love and this sort of, yeah. Jack Palance as the producer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the player, you know, for me and, and I would say everybody on this, this conversation, it, it it's not a B side. Like that was my introduction to Altman. I didn't really know him before then, you know, and, and I kind of went back to Nashville and I went back to MASH and I think I'd seen MASH, but I didn't know who Altman was, you know? And um, it's got all the it's got all the earmarks, right? Uh, opens with the long longest take. Well, tracking shot, yeah. Pictures they make these days are all MTV. Cut, 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 cut. The opening shot of uh, Wells's Touch of Evil was six and a half minutes long. Six and a half minutes long. Three or four anyway. He set up the whole picture with that one tracking shot. What what I love is Eli used to live within like you know a stone's throw of the actual location of the Touch of Evil tracking shot in Venice. Yeah, that 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 crappy uh, that boulevard that doubled for for, for Mexico. Yeah, it's supposed to be the supposed to be the 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 border at Tijuana, but it's really downtown Venice, California. By the way. Angelica Houston's in the movie. Angelica Houston lived her place. I, That's where yeah, she was my neighbor. My buddy, my roommate, Mike, crashed his truck into her fence. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what a what a great, like, sort of tour of Hollywood of that time, right? And as we were saying before, like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, uh, there's still the lots. There's still the sort of jockeying for position. It's kind of like what you said earlier about Billy explaining the – you're like, well – I thought the whole point was to get good shows on the air and entertain people. And he's like, Oh, sweetheart. (laughs) 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 And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really, it was fun because I I watched with my girlfriend, she'd never seen it. And I, and basically we just, uh, I was just doing commentary like, Oh, there's Karen black. She's like, who's Karen black. I mean, it just, it, it was such a, a who's who and even like a where's who, right? It's like, oh, it's Jeffries. And, you know, the only thing missing is like Kate Manolini and like. <laughs> you know? Eli, was there, a, was there a specific reason why you picked um, the player? I mean, are you a fan of Altman or are you just a fan of the story? I'm a fan of Altman. Um, or are you the player? Is it was this a how to? It was an inspiration for me. Is why you know I I, like the the um it for me it was a snapshot of a um of a really cool world uh and and it's that again it's that it's that it's that uh creative executive 
management class. You wear a, you know, you wear your, your collared shirt and a necktie. Um, but you're, you got you're a parking space with your name on it. Yeah. And, um, I, bungalows on the, on the lot, well, all the trappings, right? All the trappings. All of that. And, uh, I hate politics, corporate politics, but I, I appreciate diplomacy. And, um, well, that's interesting because you got pretty good yeah, at it. Yeah, well, that part. Because I'm not Machiavellian. I'm not out to get anybody else's stuff. I don't covet. You know, um, and when I encounter people who are playing that game, my attitude is generally like, yeah, sure, man. Like, if you want to compete with me, come compete. You want to try to take over what I'm doing or convince somebody to give you what's fine? But like, it's just it's seeing it coming. It's seeing it coming yeah, and, and, right. and choosing not to play that go right. There's like two love when people come at you that competitive or that, you know, kind of baldly, yeah. like, you know, aggressively, you have a choice. You can either play their game or you can play your own game. Right. That's right. So I love the character Griffin mill that became my screen name is a lot of my passwords. <laughs> and, um, I, and even though he's you know, not a good guy and not someone I would like style myself after, I love the score. I love the camera work and Altman builds a world, you know, you know, Alex who was there uh, remembers it and feels that it's authentic and that he captured it. You know, the, the, you know, the people huddling into the office, the kid from the bank, the bank in Boston, um, the, uh, it's a whole ecosystem that gets uh, the, 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 you know, the disgruntled screenwriter, the, Larry Levy's always like biting at his That's ankles. Right. You, right? Know, yeah. you know what comers do? They get in your face, you know, uh, those guys, uh, and so like all, all of the, the the studio chief, the power moves, the work done over uh, breakfast in a, you know at a, at a power breakfast in a power suit, all of that stuff, the the mythology of it um, really really appealed to me, and um, I love that world. You know, if the you know I I um, I thought the the, the Safdie brothers really captured you know, the diamond district in 47th street with uncut gems. I don't want to work in that environment. It's too, it's, it's not for me. It's too, it's too cutthroat. It's too shrewd. I, I, I wouldn't want to have to live my life watching my back that hard at all times and needing to extract my living by uh, being cunning in that way. Um, but the world that Robert Altman laid out in the player um, where you got to be the behind the scenes of making the big blockbusters and the movies um, was really inspirational to a young Eli Holzman and it and made me want to go find my way to that place and be a part of it. I think my, I think my biggest question is, uh, and I've never, I've seen everything else in the movie. I've experienced it, but uh, I've never experienced a character that uh, Fred Ward played. Like I, the the well, he's supposed security. to be like the fixer guy. No, like I get the, it. You know, I get. You're it. saying I haven't encountered that on a studio lot. That guy, not, not that close to the like the head of the studio. I guess. Sure. Is what I'm well, saying. so you know, now I'm on a studio lot, and I know the head of the studio, and I know that I know the people that are uh, around him. I mean, I guess I did grow up working with Harvey, and he was the head of the studio, and that's why yeah. I decided I wanted to be a, a studio chief. Um, the head of the studio generally does have direct reports who are in areas that are less glamorous, um, but who, who wield a lot of influence and who, so it might not necessarily be literally the head of security. I think that harkens back to an older time. There was a time in Hollywood, you know, you see it in, uh, um, 
Uh, well, Hail Caesar had a character. I, I think the Hail Caesar main character that, that Brolin plays is a fixer. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, our you know big movie star just got found at a crime scene, or you know is gay, and that you can't be gay. Oh, like Clark Gable. Clark Gable famously, uh, uh, Clark Gable ran over a guy drunk driving, killed a guy. And the studio fixer came in, paid off the cops, got everything taken care yeah. of, found a junior executive to take the fall and went to prison. And they paid him a big bonus when he got out. So these guys, they're, they're much more shadowy now. Now, now that, <laughs> that, that does not exist. There's a, there's a head of HR that you're quietly having conversation <laughs> There's a head of comms. There's a head of corporate lobbying. There's a corporate, you know, there's corporate counsel. There's a, there's a senior group of people that the agents and directors and people who are pitching and never touch and have anything to do with. Who are behind the scenes making real Absolutely. moves at, that, at those shops? That exists, right. but that yeah, that, that character, right. sure, that guy's not really around. Anymore. You, you, you're telling me you, you're telling the story about Clark Gable. <laughs> that scene in The Simpsons where Mo kills one of the little rascals because he was one of the little rascals, and he goes, uh, "He was an orphan owned by the studio, so no one got trouble." <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it, it, so that, that that's, that's interesting, Eli. I mean, we I feel like we came in at the end of an era. Yeah. Like I, I think of the I think of the pilot of uh, Sopranos. You know, one of the first lines that Tony says is like, "Yeah, I'm a boss now, but I feel like I came into a thing after the glory days are over." Right? And I, I don't mean to say I'm not you know biting the hand that feeds me or whatever, but it seems like. We've gained something and we've lost something. Obviously, the cruelty and the shitty behavior and all the bad things are, are, are discussed every day. But there's something – even Ted Hope on his Twitter uh, was talking about this article that the Vulture just released. I don't know if you I read it, it about sort of the, 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 the landscape of modern television and how streamers have sort of you know created the business model. But um, he said, you know, there's no more pirates there's no more marauders. There's no more like iconoclasts. It's like the the HR departments have um, whittled them away. You know, and that there's a, it's it's much more of a business. It's been corporatized. And, corporatized. Uh, and now we're you know Hollywood's just a one of the divisions at at Amazon, and it doesn't make as much money <laughs> as the, as the it's a loss or, leader. You know, and so like that's a bummer. That the, and, it, and it really it really has changed. Well, film used to have a primacy in culture, and I don't see that. It anymore. doesn't. It doesn't. Television kind of has supplanted that, but. We're still very lucky. There's still we still get to tell stories for a living. I think yeah. that there's a really important role in society for storytellers. You think of like Aesop's Fables. It's how our values are passed down and and uh, heralded, uh, and how uh, ideas are held up. It's always been an important role in the tribe, and so we we mm -hmm. it, it's important. It's as important as it's ever been, and. Um, and so, but yeah, the, the, the business model is in, is, is on, is, is, is in a period of transition. I think this is television and films Napster moment and it'll emerge and it'll be fine and it will thrive again in a couple of years, but right now it's been disrupted and it needs to, it needs to go through these, these throws and, and then, uh, and then rebound. But yeah, we're that heyday. If I came here loving Monroe star, uh, and Griffin Mill, that doesn't exist anymore. It really doesn't. Um, some, in some respects, that's much better. In other ways, it's um, 
It's a shame. The Lou Wa- the Lou Wasserman. Yeah. I, mean, the, the the, the I, I, I want to just say this because the writers are on strike right now. When I drive onto that lot, it's it's past a picket line, and I feel real. I know I real, you drove over my toe last week. I, I saw you, son of a bitch. I feel, I feel real kinship with the writers. Uh, the writers are fighting for um, transparency and accounting and a better residual model. And I, 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 um, um, I probably have to be careful as a Sony executive. And so I'll take my Sony executive hat off for a second <laughs> and put on my nonfiction producer hat and say, Hey, I support them. And I, and I, and I agree with that. I want to work in a town where the artists are rich. I think that's cool. And I like Hollywood, old Hollywood for that. I don't want it to be a place where just six companies suck up all the value and deposit in the pockets of the senior, the, the, the shareholders and the chief executive. It's all about the uh, shareholders, like, yeah, right? A big healthy ecosystem where the screenwriters and the actors and the DPs and the directors and the producers and the guy with the uh, equipment rental company, all of them can thrive and be successful. And yeah, you know, the executives too, and I'm one of them. And, you know, I, I, I'd like to do well also, but I'd like, I'd like it shared around and kept in town, not sucked up to Silicon Valley or to Wall Street. Um, and I, and I, and, and my, my, I believe that that's possible. And I think the guild is an important role to play for all of us in protecting that. And in that sense, I really support them. Well, that was a great, I think that's a great way to wrap up the show. That's a fantastic statement. I totally, I think Alex and I totally agree. Uh, obviously Alex, you know, is on the picket lines, uh, doing his part. And, uh, you know, I just can't help but see the end of casino with all the casinos being raised. <laughs> yeah. He's right though, but it I sort of feels that way. The end of the, just I mean, the end of the trailblazers. Man. Confident OPM, man. Hollywood's been taking other people's money and figuring it out for a really long time. And they, they invented it. some Silicon Valley superstore that's going to outfox us. They, they, right. They're going to soak them for it's all they're worth and send them out on a yeah. rail. Bring years, them in next. A hundred yeah. years of taking multimillionaire and billionaires money and being like, thank you. Come again. Well, you know, <laughs> the best way to make, you know, to make millions in Hollywood is start off with start billions. With billions. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> all right, Alex, you want to take us out? All right, brother. Thank you, Eli Holtzman. That was awesome. Uh, This was a real pleasure. Um, And thank you for everything. You know, just yeah. Thanks for Alex's life. (laughs) Thanks for yeah. Exactly. Thanks for allowing him. We both uh, you know came out out of the mist into each other's lives at a critical point, and it's affected the trajectory ever since. So, so thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really cool. You know, I love our love our business, and and it's cool we get to that you guys are talking about. Yeah. And, and thank, thanks for, uh, a lot of gems. I hope the, you know, the, the aspirant younger people that listen to this show really learn, uh, that, you know, that's what we're trying to get at is sort of like, is there a secret to success? And, and there, no story is, has been similar. Yours is just as unique as anybody else's. There's no right way. And as you said about the waves and the surfing, like, a young person starting today, they're facing a different ocean than we did when we were their age. And, and they have to learn some of the thing. I mean, there's some general rules, which you, you know, you laid out a bunch of them, but you know, it's more about learning how to learn. I think it sounds like that your story was about just 
being in the right rooms and soaking it all in and and maybe like you know keeping the gems and leaving the rest and sort of slowly building like a body of knowledge that you're able to um morph and and evolve along as the business does and will continue to i agree i mean this this too shall end it is a dark time right now but i agree with you i mean uh you know movies now more than ever <laughs> which is the in the player um it's just, it's not going to go away. It's, it's the, 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 the music will still play. The, the business will change. The business is evolving. It will settle down. People are going to always want stories and the best people will continue to do them. All right. <laughs> I'm being right. Jesus. Where's the, right. where's the giant? No, this was king. very inspiring. Shut hey, up. Come on. Shut up. No, I won't do it. Also, I don't want to, I don't want to forget. Danny Boy's famous pizza. I'm going to get a slice. That's right. Don't forget. Brought Danny to you Boy, brought by, to you by Danny, Danny Boy's, Boy's famous fame. pizza. Yeah. Anyway, good. To, yeah. Uh, thanks, shout Eli. out to, to Daniel. Um, thank you, Eli. This has been How I Got Greenlit. I'm Alex Collegian, along with my co-host Ryan Gibson. Thanks, everybody. That was Eli Holtzman and the film The Player, which is actually one of my favorites. I'd like to thank Eli for joining us. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. We absolutely need this. I say five stars all the time. It really helps the show. Follow us at How I Got Greenland on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Please remember you can always email us at howigotgreenland at gmail.com. And for all your How I Got Greenlit needs, you can go to howigotgreenlit.com. Thanks so much for listening to How I Got Greenlit. For Alex Collegian, I'm Ryan Gibson. Thank you for listening to How I Got Greenlit and supporting the show. Please join us next time. Thanks, everyone. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Next Chapter Podcasts.